0: Hello and welcome to B-Side, where we revisit business world stories and tell a few of our own. E-commerce is a great equalizer. And lots of micro, small, and medium enterprises, or MSMEs, are absolutely giddy at the thought of selling their wares to the entire world through the magic of the internet, only to have their dreams dashed by one-star reviews. To compete online and go up against well-known brands, you have to study the market you're planning to serve. Vaibad Dabade founder and CEO of Anshanto, shares a couple of insights with business world reporter Patricia Mirasol in this episode of B-Side. You'll hear about a client whose skincare product description included the line, tested on Asian skin. The product, which was shipped to Canada, got stuck in customs because the language in the description was deemed borderline racist. These are the kinds of things you have to be aware of in cross-border e-commerce.
1: Talking about experiencing hypergrowth and your mission of conquering Asia, can you tell us a bit more about what major trends do you see in cross-border e-commerce nowadays?
2: E-commerce as an industry, you can largely divide that into two parts. So one is the local e-commerce, where we have sellers from Philippines selling to consumers in Philippines. So that's a local distribution. And the second model is, for example, sellers from China, Taiwan, Japan, Korea, selling to consumers in philippines so the inventory is typically not in a destination country and consumer they buy product on a global marketplaces or cross-border marketplaces alibaba was the first one to pioneer cross-border e-commerce before that was actually a very early stage of ebay So cross-border e-commerce is something not new. It's been there in the market for the last 15 years plus. What we see now as a major trend of cross-border e-commerce is that first, the marketplaces which are active across the region, and they have a sizable number of local sellers, those marketplaces are also interested to onboard cross-border sellers. Historically, cross-border was dedicated to cross-border only focused marketplaces, but now see that marketplaces like Lazada, for example. on Lazada, you can buy products from sellers which are selling on Taobao in China. And you can order and you can get it home delivered. The trend we start to see is that cross-border sellers are adopting the local payment methods. So for example, historically, cross-border was always pay upfront and then receive the product kind of a business arrangement. But Lazada pioneered in the market where you can do a cross-border cash on delivery. Means you can be in Indonesia, a remote island of Indonesia, you can buy a product from seller in mainland China. You don't have to pay upfront. Products get shipped to you. And then after that, you pay in terms of cash as a payment instrument. So that has actually propelled acceptance of cross-border in Southeast Asia. Now, in the current context of pandemic, we see that cross-border model of business has been challenged with the heavy cost of last mile delivery and and cross-border delivery for example if you want to ship a product from uk to malaysia currently the cost of shipping in the month of october 2020 is almost three times more than what it was last year because there is a much lesser capacity available much lesser commercial planes of flying because of pandemic most of the time cross-border goods are shipped in a belly freight for the commercial planes now commercial flights are operating only at five percent of capacity and freight planes are very limited in capacity so suddenly we see that there is a huge cost of shipping a product across the borders and ultimately a consumer is the one who has to adopt and has to absorb the large portion of these extra shipping fees This has created a bit of a dent in consumer appetite for the cross-border product purchases. However, logistics companies and marketplaces are coming up with innovative models to minimize the impact of that. So even if the early stages of pandemic, there was a massive dip in cross-border e-commerce, we start to see that it is again gaining attraction because there are models being adopted. For example, so products that were shipped on an express model We see that those products are now shipped on a postal model. It's a bit slow. It takes longer time. The tracking is less, but it's cost effective because no matter what, pandemic or no pandemic, postal networks are still working, right? So we see our sellers are adopting services of companies like Ascendia, which have a postal license, and they can ship and get last-mail delivery done through postal network. So that has been a growing trend that we see recently.
1: Can you tell us about the Asia Pacific market? How big is it and who are the big cross-border e-commerce players in this region?
2: What we see here is that there are certain markets, for example, Singapore, where the cross-border e-commerce is growing faster in terms of percentage than local e-commerce. This is fundamentally because it's a small market getting saturated very fast and people have an appetite for trying new products which are not easily available to the local sellers and sellers from manufacturing economies like korea or from china or taiwan they have those novelty products and those products are adopted very well here so in certain markets we see that cross-border e-commerce is growing slower than the domestic e-commerce for example indonesia it's a massive market it's almost the one-fourth the size of indian population and domestic market is still not fully penetrated so there is a huge adoption there for domestic so the number again varies by market by market what we see is that the cross-border e-commerce in asia pacific by 2023 would be around close to 1.5 trillion and in that the southeast asia market would be around 40 percent of that because this is again, highest number of young population having an access to internet through mobile first time. There are more and more local payment schemes like Gcash in Philippines, for example, and multiple countries are having more and more payment wallet. Like for example, in Indonesia, you got O, those payment methods are now also getting fully integrated with e-commerce channels. And that is driving adoption of, you don't have bank account, you have phone, you can top up your phone at the corner store and, than buy products from anywhere you want to buy in the world. So that is not possible. And it's seamless, right? So growth is, is highest in Southeast Asia. And we would be probably the 40% of the overall cross-border e-commerce market worldwide. Today, if you see for the historically for companies like eBay or Amazon, cross-border-wise, the market like UK, Australia, and Russia has been the biggest cross-border market.
1: How can MSMEs in Asia-Pacific take advantage of the opportunities of cross-border e-commerce? What are the opportunities and challenges for them?
2: Internet and e-commerce is a great equalizer, right? So it, it provides an ability to anybody who has an intention and who has a novel product to sell globally. And most of the countries, when you're buying online, if it's for the personal usage, up to 20, 30, $40, even some countries like Australia, up to $1,000 purchases are tax-free. So that infrastructure exists for businesses to sell. eBay, Azada, Alibaba, Shopee, they have infrastructure deployed across multiple countries to in fact also enable the logistics as well as selling operations. Now the challenges that comes with this opportunity where you can be a global seller, A first challenge comes for the micro SMEs and SMEs is that they do not have needed trainings and skills and funding for them to be successful in this space, right? So typically, micro SMEs and SMEs are small, they are extremely sensitive to their cash flow, they cannot afford to have a lot of cross-border experienced staff who can actually do a deep analysis, understand how their products are performing against their competition on eBay and Amazon, and then adjust their pricing, their content accordingly, right? And they struggle in terms of their capacity. That's one of the biggest challenges. There is also a lot of miscommunication happens about this opportunity. Many times, micro SMEs, they were communicated that, hey, look, if you list your product on this cross-border marketplace, you can sell overseas. You have an access to the market. But when you actually list your product there, you are one of the product out of 90 million products available on that marketplace. So unless and until you don't work on optimizing your catalog, unless and until you don't work on selecting right keywords, unless and until you don't work on a specific marketing campaigns where you can be visible because one product out of 90 million products for consumer to purchase Your chances of getting visible without doing effort is almost zero. So, as a result, what happens is that SMEs get extremely excited. They subscribe to the programs to launch on a global cross border market. But after one month or two months, they get demotivated say, hey, look, I did all the efforts, but I got no sales. And you told me that we will be able to sell globally. That is one of the big reasons that eventually 90% of the SMEs drop from selling. across border marketplaces so what is really needed here is a very systematic effort either from the government or from the marketplaces or trade bodies so for example in singapore the government of singapore helps very very systematically to smes not only from funding point of view but also helping them to create content helping them to spend money on marketing side of it helping them to get an access to the consultant who will trail will train the catalog and pricing team of the SMEs that, hey, look, you're selling, but they are along with you, the 40,000 sellers selling the same product or similar product. Then how do you stand out? You have to do this, 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 this. And this is your action plan. You prepare, you participate, you provide an exceptional customer service, and then you start to get visible. Your rating improves. If you don't have rating above four star, you're almost not visible anywhere. If you have a rating of three star maybe you're not even visible in a search results because marketplaces also wants to show products to consumer that they are most likely to buy so providing help from a statutory body or trade commissions which helps those smes to build capabilities is extremely important we see that recently the government of korea they have launched a program they have identified companies which has a global infrastructure to help Korean SMEs to go overseas and sell their products online and those programs are extremely structured program and that's where you see the results so I think willingness from SME side giving them a clear picture of what works what doesn't work and then providing them a structural support not necessarily monetary but in terms of know-how and a path to success is extremely important
1: but what about the Philippines can you name any advantage the Philippine market has
2: I see a Philippine is very similar to India in a way I am born in India stayed there for a long long time now based in Singapore for the last 17 years but I see a lot of similarities so first similarity I see there is that importing and exporting a product in both countries is difficult most of the time the import rules and exports rules what we call in cross-border e-commerce as a landed cost or export cost is not very clear what you can export what you cannot export is again very not clear that is the one similarity i see so most of the time what happens is that sellers selling online then they get their goods stuck in customs it never gets clear and then they get despondent another thing that i see very common here is that philippines has a huge number of Filipino diaspora living outside Philippines. So it be in US or Canada or Middle East or Singapore. Similar to Indian diaspora, which is probably one of the largest in the world, there are pockets globally where there is an Indian diaspora and they are a big fan of the local products, local produce, local test, and the consumption can be easily activated. We have seen that certain countries, take an example of Singapore. So there has been a very systematic, e-commerce experience of indian products that only you get from indian sellers sent on cross border here in singapore or in middle east or in us the opportunity that i see for philippines market here is that filipino micro smes tapping on the hotspot of the filipino diaspora globally and exporting the product there so far i have heard about few programs that are launched by the philippines government to help SMEs and micro-SMEs to sell overseas, but haven't really seen a very structured success anywhere so far, unfortunately.
1: You mentioned goods being stuck in customs and sellers being despondent as a result of that. Can we talk a little bit about the legal and regulatory implications of cross-border e-commerce? Because each country has their own tax regulations and legal regulations, so if you're an MSME, bent on being successful in this market. How can you work around this?
2: Spending some time to understand what are main restrictions in the country. So for example, let's say you're exporting something to Canada and you're exporting a product from Philippines. Let's say it's a skincare product you're exporting. This is one of the real life example that one of our customer faced. And the skincare product description had a mention, a word that said that tested on Asian skin. It's a small print somewhere and that product got stuck in many customs because this sentence tested on asian skin is considered borderline racist or borderline discriminating knowing that is extremely important because once you get flagged once your products get flagged the platforms will not also support you your rating goes down so Spending some time about what is acceptable, what is not acceptable on those countries is, is important. There is some inform, certain level of information available on internet. Somebody needs to organize that and, and search for it. That is one important thing. Second important thing is that choosing your shipping methods. So typically what we are seeing is that if you ship a product, which is less than one kilo on a postal channel, or through an expedited channel where line haul is done on a commercial basis but last mile delivery custom clearance and last mile delivery is done on a postal network uh, typically on a postal network products get clear a bit more easier than if you're selling through an ex- the commercial only i would say route if you're sending a your product on a full commercial route so uh, expedited fast delivery fully tracked but then it also goes through an extra cost structure to your cell. But on a postal network, of course the cost is much more favorable. So knowing restrictions, knowing what channel to select uh, in terms of shipping your product is extremely important. Another thing is also probably if the volume is significant, shipping it from a centralized country like Singapore or Hong Kong, where the countries are known and extremely supportive and there are no taxes for exports like Hong Kong and Singapore is a trade hub so holding your inventory again this is possible only when you have a very very sizable volume holding your inventory with the cross-border shipping experts in the global shipping hubs is another mechanism where those ship those large shipping companies will help you to understand saying hey look this will work on this market this will work on this market if you don't have halal certification your product going to middle east is most likely you will get flagged in custom. So all of this know-how is also provided by those large shipping companies and working with them could be one way to avoid any disappointments.
1: Let's talk about the risk of cross-border e-commerce. How do you minimize risks such as fraudulent transactions as well as the shipment of contraband
2: materials? First, the fraudulent transaction can be to a certain degree minimized if you have a very strong payment processing Partner or the company that processes payments for you. Typically, you have to make sure that you make your terms and condition extremely clear. So in case if you get a chargeback, so you are extremely happy that you receive this order from Canada and you ship your product to customers. And after five days, you get a call from your or you, your payment gateway company saying that hey, look, the card was stolen. Somebody else used this card, and there is interest from the customer to charge back to you so i'm going to take back the money plus also i'm going to charge you a fine because there was a fraudulent transaction that happened on your cross-border web store right so to avoid this first stage is to make sure that you use a very strong payment gateway which has a global acceptance and payment gateway that is more of or micro sms friendly that's number one number two is that you need to make sure that you make your terms and condition extremely clear on your website having an authentication or using a payment gateway that requires 3d secure so such as like otp to be sent to the customer's mobile phone number collecting a mobile phone number validating a high value how high order value customers before shipping product is extremely important number two in terms of contraband product so typically when you ship product from your side you got to make sure that the shipping the fulfillment staff that are shipping those products you use a system where you can actually track which of your staff picked back and did a quality check of that order it will be prudent to have a good video security in place so that there is a clear control you may not be knowing but one maybe one of your fulfillment staff he knows that the order is going to a particular destination it is the order uh, Sent by a friend, and then you have to inject some unwanted material into that order, and then you get flagged. So, having a very good system and control in place at your operation level is important. Now, if something happens during shipment, the shipment is tempered, as long as you're shipping with, with a reputable company or reputable postal network, that is not your responsibility. But payment and picking packing is something that you can control.
1: Can you tell me your company's most popular cross border e commerce? products
2: are you a globally recognized brand and people are comfortable they trust your brand so for example if you're gap or if you're H&M or ik people will not doubt buying your products on cross-border. but most of the time micro smes and smes they are not a very well-known brand a lot of people don't know there is a concern in that case what really plays a role is what's your price point number one is a customer willing to take a risk to, to swipe card on your website and hope that the product is authentic. So typically this purchases happens in a no regret price zone. So let's say look I'm happy to try this for twenty dollars but even if it comes out to be a fraudulent product, I'm not going to lose my sleep on this and I'll just get give it a try right So if you're not an extremely well-known brand, then the way you price your product, and what kind of products they are so these products are let's say a typically a novelty product or typically a product that is an utility let's say your filipino diaspora in us will have a huge recall value to this particular product then it makes sense so it depends upon the category by category but typically if you price it and if the products are priced in a way that it is no regret purchase or it has a high recall value or there are some emotion attached to that. So typically that is very highly uh, successful. From our experiences, uh, the biggest GMV driver, GMV means gross merchandise value, the total value of the order. What we see is the number one is fashion. So people love to try fashion. And if they see that this is a particular brand that they like, the clothing, the style, and aspiring brand, then that drives the highest GMV. Number two, and specifically in cross-border e-commerce, what we have seen is the health supplement, personal artifacts, like right? So typically, people buying health supplements or people buying those novelty products that they wanted to have, and then they look at the product and say, hey, maybe let me try it. So typically, accessories, home improvement, or smaller items, or people buying products for, let's say, health improvement, those are the second biggest driver. Typically, if on a cross-border, your product is new, there is no established brand, and if your order value goes more than $50, people are a bit sensitive to that. So up to $50 with limited shipping cost, something that works with people. So fashion, accessories, specialty products are some of the, I would say, biggest GMV grossers here.
1: How does your company help these clients of yours? What services of yours do they use?
2: Micro SMEs or SMEs, they figure out a niche, they figure out very specific market segment that makes sense for their product and they see attraction. For example, we have this customer in Malaysia. It's a very interesting company. That company specializes in printing and shipping stickers for the bikes. I think there's also a lot of bike culture in Philippines as well, right? I see a lot of my Filipino friends taking photo of their helmets and bikes, always regularly updating on Instagram and Facebook. So this particular company, their product is very interesting. They have thousands of designs. be stick on their bike and then their helmets and their gloves and accessories. Products are very lightweight. Products are a few grams. Can be easily shipped by flat pack or postal parcel. Now, when companies like this or any uh, micro SMEs, they have somewhat idea about what their customer segment is, what we help them here is that based upon our data that we have, we recommend them that, hey, look, why don't you try this and this and this and these marketplaces where we see that similar category products are sold. Of course, we never give up our customer data. That's our customers trust with us but in terms of guiding smes that look there is a big culture in vietnam and then there's a big culture in mexico where there are people selling similar products there and those products are well appreciated and easy to sell so first we try to share as much as market know-how we give them a list of marketplaces that we support on those we also give them information about how you can get in touch with those marketplaces register yourself how you can basically use a global payment gateways to basically receive your payment settlement from those marketplaces that's one that we do second and most important here is that our software we provide them a connectivity so we make an active effort to keep integrating and keep adding new marketplaces globally into our platform so micro smes from malaysia then they have an access to middle east market they have access to indian market they have access to french and korean markets right so by adding these new marketplaces they have an ability to sell globally that's number two number three is that when these companies become sizable and they need a much more structured fulfillment partner when they need a much more structured global shipping partners this is where we introduce them to companies like Ascendia which has a global shipping network across all major economies and because they come through a recommendation of Enchanto Of course, they get a preferred pricing and also they get a preferred treatment for that. Of course, the intention here is to help SMEs, micro SMEs as much as we can. We don't make money on this. We make money only on a subscription of our software. But we know that if we help our customers, they will stick with us. And the relationship is not only extremely transactional, but they see us as their partner. We can help them to grow their business.
1: Some experts say a safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine might be available next year. How will this affect cross-border e-commerce?
2: I really hope the vaccine comes next year or even earlier. This is really a terrible time we are in. So how this will affect? I believe that what has happened because of COVID in terms of the habit, people's habit, to buy online or to work from home or to adjust to the unprecedented conditions, these things will be irreversible. It means that when we will go back to normal, A lot of things will not be normal again, it will stay there because of COVID forcefully because of being put in that corner, consumers have learned and adapted to a different way of buying things. Same is for businesses. So when we'll go back to normal, we cannot go back to what we were in December 2019. It will be different. Most of these changes of habits will stay there. And this is evident from companies globally saying that, hey, even if there's a vaccine, no vaccine, we don't want our team members to come to office. We want them to spend more time at home. We want to give a flexible working hours. We want our team members uh, to be free and to work from wherever they want to work, right? And I think large part of that will stay back. So people will not go back to 100% buying from offline channels or from local channels, whatever. That's my feeling. Personally, I don't think that certain new habits that I have adopted because of COVID, I will go back to the what it was original. I will keep those habits because it is super productive. Number one, number two, it is very convenient, and it also has changed the perspective of the whole outside generation. And even if there is a vaccine of COVID, I think we will still have this fear of something coming back again for at least next two years.
0: And that concludes another episode of B Side. Once again, you heard Vaibhav Debade, founder and CEO of Anchanto, talking with Business World reporter Patricia Mirasol. E-commerce is indeed the great equalizer. If you are a micro, small, or medium enterprise planning to join the global marketplace, you have to do your homework. You are one product out of 90 million, Mr. Debade said. Unless and until you optimize your catalog, unless and until you create specific marketing campaigns, Your chances of getting visible without effort is almost zero. But for those who do get seen, the potential is enormous. Anshanto projects that cross-border e-commerce in the Asia-Pacific region will grow to around 1.5 trillion US dollars by 2023. The Southeast Asian market, which has the highest number of young people with internet access, will account for 40% of this trajectory. That's a huge opportunity for MSMEs. This episode was recorded remotely on October 16. This is Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening.